back, everyone, to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. As usual, I am Justin, and I'm joined by... The artist formerly known as Beth. Sam, who is cool. Yeah, I'm... Yeah, but... Oh, my God. <laughs> For a second, I was like, oh, Caleb, your old laptop, it's glitching. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I introduced myself very normally. I what uh, what's the problem? Great, we'll go with it. We're all here in in some form or another. It does say right on my screen, Sam, who is cool. So I know that that is who was talking. Yeah, yeah. We're uh, we're back again for another episode. We are finishing up part two today. We talked about chapters twelve through fifteen, uh, wherein. A party occurs, and that's a lovely old time, and then it's rapidly not a lovely old time for the rest of the section. Vin briefly has a good day. Yeah. It's like mediocre at best, and we're celebrating it's not it. Even, yeah, it's not even that <laughs> like, great. She has a panic attack, practically, when she walks in the door, and this is our gold standard for her so far. But she talks with a boy, so... She has a pleasant conversation with one person who may be mind-controlling her. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real pleasant time. It's awesome. Yeah, so uh, what did everyone think of how we're we're progressing along in the book? I feel tonal whiplash. Oh my god! <laughs> chapter twelve. Oh, it's it's a ball. Chapter thirteen. Oh, she's just chasing Kels here, and then chapter fourteen and chapter fifteen. And oh my god, they almost die. Well, it's not. To- I mean, her her picture's on the cover, so I figure she's not dead. But I suppose it, we technically do not know if Vin survives the page turn into part three. Right. Also, with regard to Tonal Whiplash, to be fair, as someone who played Breath of the Wild and as soon as he was done with the tutorial area, went directly to Hyrule Castle. Um, I feel like if you go directly to the final boss, you're generally going to get your shit kicked in a little bit. Uh, I feel like by chapter 13, we probably could have seen it coming that things weren't going to go too great. In in Kelsier's defense, he did not know that the final boss would be there. It is like the center of the Lord Ruler's palace, so I'm only giving him a little credit, but he might not have been there. The only way to improve these, you know, adrenaline pumping chapters would be if Kelsier and Vin did emulate Caleb's Breath of the Wild playthrough which would include both of them being shirtless as they hurl themselves directly at the say, final I boss. I believe I've heard this saga. Kelsier, Kelsier should be shirtless during this scene when they make the adaptation. That's correct. Are they going to grab onto a rock that's frozen in time that they smash toward the castle? Um, I, I, uh, I did get that power because that is in the tutorial area, but I, I didn't play the, I, I didn't know how to weaponize it, so I just did it the hard way. No, no, no stasis launches. I've never thought of that before. I have some video games to play. Let's keep going so I can get to them. <laughs> what, Stasis launching? Oh yeah, it's great. Oh, it's about to be. Yeah. You uh you you stasis a giant rock, you hit it repeatedly with a weapon, and then you climb on it as it gets launched into the sunset. Meanwhile meanwhile, back in this book. Yeah. <laughs> uh we we'll get started with our Chapter 12, Epigraph, uh, where our mystery writer, who we've theorized is the Lord Ruler of Ages Past, is uh, is pondering a single unified empire of man, which 
Well, something happened at least. Something approximating that happened, you know. It feels very much like accidental overpowering AI type thing where, you know, somebody tells the computer to make world peace and the computer says, well, it'll be peaceful if there are no people left. The Lord mm, Ruler is games. Ultron confirmed. This is my latest prediction. Okay, we'll, we'll note yeah, it down. Add it to the list. Um, yeah, this is an interesting one because I feel like this is making me think this made me go back to my theory that the epigraphs might be at least a little bit out of order because we've already had the epigraphs talk about like oh it's so great that everyone's being unified under me and there's barely any like people who don't like me and i'll just take care of them later because they're dangerous but for now everybody's uniting under one banner and i guess that's probably like uniting an army is different from being united under single government right but it's just kind of it's interesting to see not flip-flopping but this author who again is presumably the lord ruler um kind of like he doesn't have a master plan at this point he's kind of developing developing it in his head as he goes right there's this is the you know some sort of prophesied hero but he doesn't really know what he's doing all right well we will see where this takes us in our next epigraphs uh, but before we start the, the chapter body, uh, Sam, I believe you have a question for Beth. Yes, I do. Beth, tin or pewter? I'm feeling contrary from last time. I believe last time was tin, so I'm going with pewter. Oh, well, last time was actually brass or zinc, but this time you're going with pewter. Ah, All right. shit. <laughs> well, I'm going with pewter. <laughs> All right. So here's the situation. I can't believe you're the... already making different decisions than me. That's insane. <laughs> Shut up. So... You're a noblewoman in the in the far off city of Luthadel. Uh, you go to a ball, as noblewomen are wont to do, and you're invited to dance by suitor after suitor for the entire night. You're tired, it's getting late, but the heir to the most powerful house in the city noticed your dance skills and is now asking you to dance. If you say yes, you gain a powerful ally. If you say no, he'd take it as a slap in the face. But you literally can't rise to your feet. You'd need pewter to do anything even approaching dancing. What do you do? I'm, I'm going to burn pewter. I, and I'm thinking back to me, Beth, at a homecoming dance, like sitting at the side with my feet really hurting. I would have freaking loved some pewter then, so I'm using it now. Not that right. I had like a billion suitors then, but I'm burning pewter and I'm going to dance. You burn your pewter and you get up like somebody getting up on the surface of Jupiter. And walk your butt over to this suitor, and you say, okay, let's dance. You grab hands, and you begin an elegant stomp fest. Uh, after the fifth time you stomp his foot, he says, that's it. We're at war now. Shoves you away and storms oh, out. Hi. Oh, dear. And then in three weeks, you die in a house war. The end. <laughs> I win. Okay. I win. I made more decisions yeah, no, than that. Before, I win. Before we started recording, we were like, I was saying that I was getting competitive and wanting to win, and we set the win condition as me making more moves than Caleb, and I have very abjectly failed. However, I also did win in my personal life because this whole time I've been staring fearfully out my window waiting for a train to ruin my flow, and not a train came. So I am victorious over the trains. Thank you. And goodness. then you died in a house war. And then That's I right. died in a house war, but I died happy. <clears throat> Wait, hold on. Here, we're going to spice it up one more time. 
Give me your best I died in the house war scream. Or I shout. do have neighbors. <laughs> oh. Well, okay, that's fine then. Don't do that. Um, oh, <laughs> does this does this mean I, I win even more? <laughs> I didn't ask you to do anything crazy <clears throat> last time, Caleb. Um, how, how do I die in the house war? What is my method of death? Uh, you get uh, speared through the stomach with a coin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Voice acting. Like once upon a time, I dabbled in voice acting and sent all the audio to Justin to edit and did just record a file that was like three minutes of me screaming and was like, just paste this where you need it. Yep. Good times. So that was Tinaputa. Anyway, book all right. Hopefully things go better for, for Vin than they uh, they did for Beth. So yeah, I mean, in chapter terms 12. of stomach wounds, not great. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Uh. Starting off chapter 12, Vin is preparing for her first her first party, uh, and it is a big event, and she is quite worried about it, but she's getting all dressed up fancy and is, is then heading off to keep venture for the, the evening. It's pretty startling to me to read the description of the dress and picture Vin even approaching comfort in that. I, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean... You know, thief first, girl second, and then here she is in like this beautiful, elegant blue dress with all this accoutrement, and she's just cool with it. Yeah, she's definitely got some. Yeah, she's not. She's not cool with, cool with it, with but it. she manages to figure it out at least. Mm-hmm. So on the way there, um, Cezid and, and Vin, as they are traveling, get briefly visited by Calcier, who tries to give her some encouragement for the night, uh, which doesn't quite work when. Um, she asks if the the Lord Ruler will be there, uh, and he says no. He doesn't. He doesn't come to many events. And besides, it's not like he can read your mind. Uh, to which she asks, "Are you sure?" And he says, "Well, no." So good job there with the the safety encouragement, Kelsier. Ah, I'm I'm putting a bookmark in that. We talk about that a little bit later. Bading badoom. Anyway, but they they do arrive at Keep Venture. Uh, which we discussed when Kelsier was robbing it the first time a couple chapters ago. Uh, this is essentially the Washington, D.C. National Cathedral, and it is in full decoration and illumination here. And it's it's quite a sight, uh, including some spectacular stained glass windows that I think would look really cool. Oh, yeah, it's a very cool, cool building lit by limelight, too, mm-hmm. um, which is quite brilliant. Cezette is also dressed up for the occasion, wearing his his uh, robes with the same V, like the same power. weird capital bold V. Yes. Oh gosh, different font V returns. Our old nemesis. And also really big sleeves. This probably also looks quite striking. So yeah, as we mentioned, she uh, has a bit of difficulty getting started. It's quite an overwhelming experience. And then she realizes that her disguise is pretty effective and nobody's really giving her more than a, a glance. And when they do see her, they see Valette Renew. They see the persona. So step one, they've got that figured out. People just see her facade. Yeah, the moment where she kind of, it clicks for her and it feels like, you know, by wearing this, she is doing just another version of being able to hide in the corner and feel safe was a really 
really cool moment of like just having it click and finally she can relate to it in some way and feel a little bit comfortable in her skin um was just a really really nice moment um i liked it a lot i don't have a lot of complex commentary on it it's just very good you had more complex commentary than i was going to offer which was also it good <laughs> it good it's, it feels rare for us to see vin even approaching comfort in her own skin so i will take this moment what do you mean moment she's going to be happy for a really long time i'm sure ha, ha, oh ha, for ha, pages ha, and ha, pages <laughs> dozens of them not even dozens of pages i feel like i feel like by the end of this series we will be able to say there are dozens of pages in which vin is happy <laughs> and by that there will be about 25 pages most of them non-consecutive yes that's correct I'm going to have to think of, like, looking forward through the rest of the series. What is the happiest moment for Vin? I'm going to have to figure that out. Because there are some good ones. There are some some high highs. I will I will give her that. I'm thinking of uh, one particular dance in Hero of Ages. I am always thinking about that dance in Hero of Ages. It's pretty great. You're spoiling the fact that she lives. We don't know that yet. <laughs> I am also picturing that one dance from Hero of Ages, a thing I've definitely read before. I'm very curious as to what that picture looks like, but we'll get to that later. So we start to see how these these parties go down. Sorry, I just had the image of Vin doing the Elaine dance from Seinfeld. And like, that's where she's happiest, is just with the kicks and the thumbs. Oh, I'm sure no one here actually watches Seinfeld, but... I mean, not one of choice, you viewers. It's, it's hard to avoid. Yeah, it has been on. All right. So we get to see some some scenes of this party. Uh, Vin has dinner. Uh, she's probably going to get asked to dance. She briefly panics at that, but uh, says it says it would make sense for you to decline. So that will be okay. And she gets to kind of take a look around. She notices uh, a whole bunch of, of obligators just kind of mingling in the party and, and doing their business. Uh, and she also sees some uh, stained glass windows that depict the the deepness and the Lord Ruler. And it's really unclear, and she's annoyed by that. <laughs> but I love how her instincts whispered scam. Could be a scam. Yeah. Yeah, that's her read on this, is somebody's making something up. So we get a, uh, as Sazed predicted, a couple of people do ask Valette to have a dance and she politely declines though does unfortunately for her commit to dancing with them later uh she's baffled to learn that there are these parties basically every night it is a a busy world in Luthadel high society uh, and then Cesar takes his leave as he is uh, expected to do based on previous experience i do not recommend dancing at balls it can be quite dead yeah house wars and all I completely forgot about the tin and pewter thing, and I was like, "What? Are, are, are were you okay? Is that what happened?" <laughs> Beth, what you happened? Think this is a game, Caleb. I don't want to talk about it. If you die in the game, you die in real life. <laughs> Junior prom was rough. <laughs> this is the real world, where where kids at balls can cause war. So we see some more scenes of the evening, uh, which is, are aided by vin's alimantic powers uh so sam does get a check mark on vin will use alimancy at a party uh but this one is fortunately for her uh pretty subtle and she actually just 
with the aid of her copper just does it without notice. So she gets to do some some eavesdropping. Yep, I put a star in my notes and said I knew she wouldn't be able to help herself. So the I have notes for my interesting section where we'll we'll talk about the the whole implications of allomancy. I have like a thesis to to break down. We'll get to it. All right, I'm looking forward to it. You are the correct kind of person to be a Sanderson fan. <laughs> mm-hmm. There was one time when I was reading, I think it was Oathbringer, um, when a character said a particular phrase, uh, and I literally put the book down in front of me, dramatically pointed at it, and said out loud, I fucking know who you are. Anyone else present? Was your wife? No, present? I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> but I was right, so I'm proud of that one. I'm imagining you in a dark, mostly empty room lit only by candles as this happens. I'm pretty sure it was like four in the afternoon. It was not a very dramatic moment, aside from me making it dramatic. Uh, a brief dramatic moment it with uh with Vin, where she realizes that one of the uh, obligators here is her father, uh, who Reen had had pointed out to her years ago, at one point, and she realizes now that this is this is the same man. Although they managed to not interact with each other at all beyond that, so just a, a brief note that he is here. <laughs> oh, I'm just remembering the Eric Andre skit that I'm really glad I found. Um. There's a skit where he's interviewing Tyler, the creator, on the Eric Andre show. And he goes, focus, and he blows an air horn, and he says, your dad's here. And up in the rafters is a creepy old weird guy looking down at Tyler, the creator. And then we go back to Tyler, the creator, who's crying. Um, and I said, I think that sums up this chapter pretty well. <laughs> I mean, it's not completely off. <laughs> like, it's it's off, but it's not completely off. It's... <laughs> especially with the fact that like i don't know how to feel about her dad like okay right he does just kind of show up here he's just there like all right we do move on for it very fast she's like ah pretty windows isn't there also a point in eric andre where someone comes up and says eric i'm your dad like i i i feel like there's multiple points where eric andre was like i'm just gonna have someone claiming to be someone's father show up randomly and then we're just gonna move on oh yeah definitely so I'm casting Eric Andre as Vin's father. <laughs> yes. Perfect casting. Great. We'll note that down too. No, I have an actual casting for him. Don't don't write that down. <laughs> <laughs> too late. Oh, shit. Did I get down? Oh, my God. I can't believe I missed that. I'm going to think about it while the episode's going on because I forgot that we met him briefly while doing casting. You can have Eric Andre if you want. You, you can keep that one. Was it during these chapters when... Vin mentions to Kelsier that she saw her dad, or was that later? Yeah, that's in the next chapter, I'm pretty sure. Again, it goes by very quickly, but I think Right, because Vin is completely unable to describe him beyond he looks like an obligator. He's, yeah, he's, a, he's bald, bald, got face tattoos. tattoos <laughs> right. Man. So the, the party progresses. Vin uh, decides to take a look around, heads upstairs to the balconies where she can look out over the room in the dance floor uh, and we meet uh, another new character who apparently was up there because he wanted to read and this is the one place in the room where there's good reading light 
So I support this man. Yeah, do what you do, Ellen. Why not? I feel like, um, you know, Justin, you and I both being techies, we can appreciate hidden corners of large buildings. Yeah. <laughs> Where you are mostly out of sight lines. Yep. But have enough light to read specifically. Yes. I can remember a couple shows that I watched from the catwalk. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very, it's a very cool thing. So I, I'm Did with you Ellen. Fall asleep up there. Mm, I'm not quite that daring. I worked with someone who fell asleep while running a spot in the catwalks and did nearly roll out of it and perish, but she was fine. That's good. So sorry, am I the? I love reading as much as the next guy. Am I the only one who gets really bad vibes from Ellen? Is that just me? I mean, they do have kind of a weird interaction. Like, it's it's not. It's it's definitely atypical, and Vin is is kind of okay with that because she's kind of atypical but also like yeah it's definitely a uh a, a strange a strange little uh chat that they have is it a rafo question for me to ask if we'll ever know who dilisteni is the author of trials of monument i don't know if we hear about him in particular we do learn about a couple of in-world books i just don't remember if that one in particular comes up I don't think so. D&D is really ruining my brain because as soon as you said, do I know anything, about, do I ever find out anything about Dillisteni? My brain was just like, roll a history check. <laughs> Could introduce a fact. I'm going to briefly tangent to talk about the game system that I love, which is Exalted, where if you have uh, high levels in lore, which is the skill for like knowing things about the world, you can attempt to introduce a fact where you declare something that you would like to be true and the the GM will give you a, a difficulty for it and then you roll your lore and if you make the check, then that is just true now. You, you just added things to canon. That's wild. It's super cool. That happened to me recently when I was GMing. But we play D&D, so it was just one of my characters going wild and being like, no, there are animals down here. There are turtles. There are four of them. Here are their names. And I was just like, what are you talking about? This isn't your job. There was a long discussion about what canon is, and we had to explain to this player that canon is what the GM decides. You don't get to just say something is canon. It was a, that was a, that was a time. That's the great thing about Exalted is that you, you kind of can just say that. <laughs> yeah. If we had played Exalted and the cannons had to become, the turtles had to become canon, that would have, that would have, would have changed the entire campaign, honestly. We can never tell Rachel about Exal- Exalted. Absolutely not. Jack, I know you're listening. Don't you dare snitch, Jack. Hello, Jack. Shoutouts to Jack. Hey, Jack. And Simple Flips. Yeah, shoutouts to Simple Flips. Hell Yeah. Hey, leave us nice comments and we might give you a shout out. <laughs> if this if the podcast ever gets really big, we can't guarantee that. But at this point in the game, it's a pretty good chance we might give you a shout out at some point if you leave us nice comments. Butter us up. We'll even let you do TTS. Maybe not. I don't know what that is. I don't want to agree it's to it. Text to speech. Just in the middle of the episode, you know? Donate some money. <laughs> like we're Twitch streamers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll reply live as people donate money. Just 
uh, ruin the 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 arc of our whole conversation with oh thank you john snow 43 for your ten dollars if you leave a mean comment i'll also give you a shout out but it has to be a mean comment that's only targeted at me all right we'll keep that in mind for sure i'm going to wrench us back onto discussion here if we must uh so we we basically close out the chapter there after they have their their little chit chat um but it's it's only as they're leaving and vin is is checking in with sazed that she learns that this is in fact ellen venture the heir to house venture which is kind of an important detail to leave out not that vin thinks so because her response to this revelation is hum yeah Caleb, was this perhaps one of the reasons why he uh, why he bothered you? Well, I you know I we'll, we'll wait for Attack on Titan Brain to go to go all out, but um, yeah, I just considering how untrustworthy Vin is, and even though it's sad, how justified she generally is in being untrustworthy, the fact that this guy managed to basically just slip into her DM so easily gives me bad vibes. I don't I don't love that she was so. She, you know, she ends the chapter smiling, like presumably thinking about Ellen and, and how, how cool he was. And that just that doesn't sit right with me. That doesn't seem right. Um, I'll, I, have, I have more theories for later, but yeah, it's 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 sketchy. You know, I'm going to I'm going to go in on this and say that uh, I don't think it's sketchy. I think this is the first time in Vin's life when she's been allowed to be a normal girl. And this guy who's treating her like a normal girl as well, it's like, it's a, it's a more than a breath of fresh air. It's like, it's like breathing oxygen for the first time in your life. I, I don't know. I was just going to say that means we've, we've got two uh, possibilities that we can keep an eye out for because there's a decent chance that we will be seeing more of him in the future. Yeah, this is, this is a, a flipped coin here. We'll, we'll see where it lands. Well, in terms of recurring character bits, we'll keep checking on, in on is Kelsey or a good man and L adventure vibe check. <laughs> vibe check. <laughs> okay, I like these. These are these are good recurring segments to have. We move on then into chapter thirteen, uh, with another recurring topic in our epigraphs, uh, which is the the Pac-Man Rashik, the one who is. Uh, a little hostile and the the author here is is kind of letting rasha get to him and and that annoys him mm. i will probably talk about that later but um i feel like i can just we will hear you talk about it later then i feel like i can just shout it out i think that uh the lord ruler is rashik mm. that is a bold claim bold claims yeah we will definitely have to talk about that one yeah I like how many things we're putting pins in because we're building our conspiracy walls with all of those pins. It's <laughs> true. We're going full on Pepe Silvia over here. Carol! So chapter 13 proper, uh, we are debriefing from the uh, from the party. Uh, Kelsier and Lord Renew are now also involved in the, the discussion. So Kelsier's trying to think through the, the implications of... Um, of Vin chatting with uh, Mr. Ellen Venture. Uh, there's an interesting tidbit there where Renew makes a comment about meeting Ellen maybe four years ago or so. 
Uh, and Vin says, hang on a minute. This this whole operation has only been going on like two years. So so what's going on with that? And uh, she doesn't get an answer there. So we'll have to wait as well. I would like to introduce a new phrase called LAFO, which is listen and find out what I have to say about that when we get to the theory section. This is going to be, this is stacking up between the two of you to be quite a theory episode. So I'm Oh, it's going to be a good one. I was on hiatus last week, Attack on Titan Brain was, but she's coming out in full force this time. So they have a a bit of a chat on the implications of Vin and and Ellen chatting. And uh, Renew's opinion is that uh, Ellen is known to be a, a bit of an eccentric. And so him chatting with the new weird girl is probably just him trying to make a bit of a show of things, uh, which kind of bothers her. Right, and then this is when we have the discussion of um, Vin spotting her father and being unable to provide any identifying information about him. Uh, And then immediately afterwards, Kelsier decides that he is going out in the night, and Vin says that she'll probably go to sleep as well, and just about everybody in the room knows that Kelsier is not going to sleep. Vin is also not going to sleep and is going to try to follow Kelsier, and nobody's really going to be able to do anything about either of those facts. Yep. <clears throat> I thought it was... I, I put a pin in the line that... Uh, well, not not like a later on pin, not a this episode pin, but more like a let me talk about right now pin. Um, in, We're going to uh, have to color code these pins. <laughs> we will. Uh, but when Kelsier says, that's the funny thing about arriving somewhere, once you're there, the only thing you can really do is leave again. Uh, Caleb, maybe you can sympathize with me here. This reminded me of weekend trips to see my family because they live uh, 400 miles away and it feels like the moment I arrive, I have to turn back around to go back uh, to my home uh, 400 miles from where they live. Um, so I kind of get where Kelsier is coming from here. I... I... I, I kind of empathize with that. I, I, my parents have lived far enough away that generally I always reserve a full week to spend time with them if I visit. So I generally haven't felt this feeling too much. Although if there's ever like a quick family get together, like for a wedding or anything, and I only get to see people for like a couple of days. Yeah, I definitely have that feeling for sure. I also love that Kelsier is known to be late to his own scheduled things. So the idea that he also frequently leaves early is just very funny to me. Yeah, he's really just kind of on his own time. So we get to see what uh, the evening is going to entail for these two. Uh, and we get a, a bit of fun, uh, alimantic technology here. See, I said Vin would keep having fun. Yeah, she gets to fly. This is, this is pretty One cool. One more page. <laughs> Add it to the list. Yeah, Vin discovers that there are a set of, of big metal bars that are stuck in the ground seemingly with the intended purpose of letting elementers just kind of fly the whole way which is a a fun experience for her primitive tech it's crazy <laughs> magical primitive tech mm-hmm. you know it's it's magical but it's a little primitive i love stuff like this just more little world building details like of course elementers who are by and large nobility want to get to the suburbs quickly and this is how they do it of course right it, it, it yeah, delights somebody me. went and prepared this and now this is how it works 
I'm just a, a slut for public transportation, so I'm just happy that there's there's this network that any any Mistborn could use properly. Let's go public transit. Hell yeah. We're all fans of public transit here. If that's true, I'm a big fan. It's right outside my window. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you moved there, so you could have a nice view of public transportation. Exactly. And an ideal podcasting environment. So the, the evening activities for Kelsier... Uh, first, he he checks in on House Venture, which makes Vin worry a little bit. Uh, and then shortly after that, he catches her with the same trick that she pulled off at the beginning of the the section, with the the coin pouch diversion. Uh, and they have a a bit of a heart to heart of, can you please stop following me? And well, you need to trust me and tell me where you're going. So it's probably not the the optimal time for this conversation, but they do need to to have it. I do love the moment of him learning Vin's trick and using it for himself. Um, I don't know if there's like an established trope of the mentor learning from. Well, I, I it's pretty common that the you know, the teachers learn from their students as much as the students learn from the teachers. But like when that actually has like a concrete thing you can point to and be like, yeah, that's a thing that happened. It always makes me very happy. It reminds me of, um, of course, a JoJo reference. Um, and I'll be vague because I'm trying to get through it with Beth and we haven't gotten there yet. Um, but at the beginning of part five, one character pulls off a really audacious fight move, um, to another character. And then a couple episodes later, that character adapts the move to their own purposes. And it's never addressed by the characters, but you can tell that like that character learned it from the first guy. Um, and it's just a very, very cool moment of like team building and, and working together and learning from each other. It's very cool. I am terrified to learn what an audacious fight move is by JoJo standards. Oh, it's by wild. terrified, I mean deeply excited. Yeah, it's good. While Kelsier and Vin are having this discussion, there's a, a brief bit about whether or not Ellen Venture is a misting. Uh, and according to Kelsier... There was a, an attack of some sort a few years back, and if Ellen had 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 any sort of elementic powers, that would have been a very good time to not die with them. Uh, and so the the verdict seems to be that no, he's he's just a just a run of the mill noble. Listen and find out what I have to think about that later on this episode. I I feel like everybody who who reads that uh, info from Kelsier is at least a little suspicious of it. But then we find out uh, the the true cause of, of Kelsier's nighttime errand. Checking in on, on Venture was just a, a little bit of a side thing. He's going to go into the Lord Ruler's palace. Uh, and apparently the uh, what he's decided is when he got captured all those years ago, when the, the disaster happened that landed him in the pits, it had happened after months and months of detailed planning and that must have been how they got caught so if he just does it right now then nobody will have been able to give him away and that's the plan which is about a kelsier plan i think <laughs> i was gonna say i i feel like it's a terrible plan but i also am having a hard time arguing against it which kind of sums up Kel as a character i think <laughs> no one can betray me if no one knows what i'm doing yeah, no, it's a big, like, like Taps Head moment. Big galaxy brain. It's also very, uh, uh, just to keep bringing it back to D&D, &D, it feels like a very D&D &D moment of, 
you know, you'll be going through a dungeon and you're planning ahead for the next room and you, you have this big, massive plan and you're like, everything's, there's lots of details to it. We're all going to do different things. It's all going to work out great. And you get in the room, you roll initiative and no part of the plan works um, and everything goes wrong and you end up just being in a clusterfuck no matter what. And so you get to the next room and you're like, fuck it, let's just go in. Let's just fight whatever's in yeah. there. No, there's no time to make a plan. Let's just go. So they continue their discussion and Vin really does want to help and and Kelsier really does want to keep her safe but in the end he does agree that uh two mistborn are very powerful and so uh so she's going to come along which means we get to learn about atium which has been uh, kind of lingering yes. in the the alimantic information that we don't have yet and now we get to find out how it works real quick i will say at, when I first read it, it was a nice moment where Vin was like, look, I'm never going to be ready according to your standards, so we might as well like just get the ball rolling and I'm, I'm just going to have to go with you. And she does talk him into it. And like at first, it seems like a nice moment. Um, knowing what happens later in the chapter might have been the wrong call. Yeah, no, uh, she was not ready. <laughs> and I just, it's, it's, we know it's a, we, we know it's bad. And there's the moment of like Kelsier saying, "Ah, well, I can't, I can't do it anyways. Like, I can't, I can't go alone anyways because you're gonna follow me no matter what. So I might as well give you on the plan." Couldn't Kelsier just say, "Okay, I'm not gonna do this tonight. I'm gonna wait until you're at another ball, and then I'm gonna go do this alone." Like, it's not like because the whole plan is spur of the moment, spontaneous. I'm just gonna do it right now, and no one's gonna know about it. Can't he just reschedule that? Like, it's it seems odd that. He is, he feels stuck by the fact that Vin isn't going to give up, but he also seems very set on doing this right now, even though his plan seems to not rely upon it happening right now. Um, far be it from me to, to criticize Kelsier for not being an incredibly responsible adult, but um, just something I pointed out of like, Kelsier could have found a different way to do this if he wanted to, um, which, you know, I guess sort of emphasizes more that Vin really did talk him into it, that she was ready um, as opposed to just kind of trapping him. Um, but uh, yeah, it just kind of, it, it, when you, it, you, you kind of see it in a different light when you think about what his other options were. Um, and uh, that, that, you know, that's in the back of my mind as we read what happens next. But before we get to the, uh, the fireworks of the, the attack itself, uh, we get ATM. We get uh, to see the future in some very tiny, limited amount. Uh, and this is this has definitely been on screen before, you know, very strong vibes of The Matrix for one, but this would look very cool. I can confirm that it looks very cool because uh, the imagery being described of like a little image popping up showing a potential possible future also happens in JoJo. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Um, and it looks very cool there, too. Also happens in The Matrix with Hugo Weaving and dodging bullets. Should we get Hugo Weaving in this cast? Ooh. Oh, maybe. Oh, I, hmm. I will keep that in mind, actually, for this very session. We'll, we'll table that. Yeah. Download. Uh, they also have a, um, a bit of a talk on ATM economics. That's here, isn't it? Yep. Ham loves talking about it. Mm-hmm. It is stupendously expensive even in tiny tiny amounts uh but really its only use is mistborn 
and the only way that they can use it is to burn it up. So there's an interesting back and forth there between how valuable it is and how limited but also powerful its actual use is. And then there's the the additional complication of what happens when two ATM burners are fighting each other uh, and you get a whole miniature high speed I know that they know that I know and the the predicting ability just goes wild and it that would also be pretty cool to see. I have been mocked in the past by a certain co-host for my I don't typically picture things when I read. I just don't. I just let the words flow over me like a babbling brook. So if I actually stop and picture something, you know it's cool. I stop and picture this. I've never mocked you for that. I just find it interesting. You, it, it has been. That you, you know, you, you read through all these rich characters and you're like, ah, yes, the faceless mannequin. I will remember his vibe. I, I don't see faceless mannequins. I don't see anything. It's just head empty, no thoughts, just words that Brandy Sandy write. He do the work. I do, I do no work. We're learning all sorts of things. So we, we wrap up the, the little bit of alimentic instruction heading into uh, the meat of the action in chapter 14 uh, with our epigraph diverting to, to show some uh, real kind of troubled thoughts from our writer of the past. Uh, they, they, the pressure might be getting to them. They, they see shadows following them, which is probably a bad sign. Yeah, that's new. We've gotten little hints of ominousness before mentioning the pulsing feeling in his brain but this is uh this is different this is very specific and very freaky we also uh it's the description of i it's there's shadows and dark creatures that i don't understand which you know we know this character is going to face the deepness and we've seen the deepness depicted as a mass of dark tentacles and tendrils um so good chance they're related in some kind of way it's unclear if this guy's just kind of having nightmares or um if he uh is legitimately being followed by spooky creatures berserk style or what um but yeah it's uh it's concerning let me pull back a pin that i i, I put in um i think that when i said lord ruler's rashik i think i wrote that next to the epigraph for that chapter um, but then as we saw that Epigraph Man is starting to lose his marbles, um, that kind of changed my mind. Um, in other words, something like the person that we met in Epigraph Chapter 4, or whatever, needed to not be the Lord Ruler. Um, even if they're the same person, there needs to be a break, like a mental okay. break that happens. Okay. So they they need to become separate people, and I think that's what we're seeing the epigraph hmm. so this is where we uh i mentioned this a little bit before this is where we learn uh what happened at least some of what happened the last time that when kelsier got captured where they had a plan to break into this room and somebody must have have given it away uh and they were waiting uh there were inquisitors waiting when they got there and so the plan tonight is to just go for it and see what happens. And so things immediately escalate because there are guards here uh, and they are just running by and, and attacking these guys and shooting them with coins 
and it's like a page and a half later and Vin has killed four people. And is extremely uncomfortable with the events happening. I mean, uh, Kelsier kills guards before he's detected. Like, you don't have to do that yet. At least, like, I don't know. I mean, listen, right? There's betrayal, and then there's just being a horse's ass. Like... Yeah, this is not, like... This is not the the stealth game where you try to play it sneaky until you get spotted and then you go, well, guess I'm killing everybody. Kelsier didn't even try the first part. <laughs> High chaos run. And he, and he doesn't even do like a stealthy like, oh, slash his throat. He drop kicks the second guard. Just a drop kick. I was about to say, Kelsier is a very specific kind of dishonored player. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Now that's a game that actually has some strong Mistborn vibes. I yeah, when I was picturing how uh, a Luthadel looks, uh, my brain was going back to Dishonored quite a bit. I feel like there are a lot of overlapping vibes there. Oh yeah, the art director for Dishonored was actually also the art director that designed City Seventeen and Half Life Two, and he's very good at what he does. Huh. Ah. Yeah, that's a good track record right there. I do picture the characters in Mistborn as not being weird fish monster faces like they are in Dishonored, though. Yeah, everyone looks a little bit weird in that game. All I'm saying here is, uh, if if Kelsier can can sneak around and break into this place like that, then why do I fail a mission in Assassin's Creed 2 when a guard sees the dagger that is headed toward him and will kill him? Thank you! I've been playing Assassin's Creed 2 lately for no good reason. Everyone's on I'm an just... Assassin's Creed kick lately. I, we Truly, in this household, we're all in on it. But there was, it was like, assassinate this merchant. Just a merchant. He was just wearing fine Italian robes without being detected. So I threw a knife at his face, and he survived. And it, I was detected. But I mean, literally, there was a time when I was... I don't want to dive too deep into this, but no, I will. Um, we're diving. There, there, was a, there was a time when one of the missions was, like, sneak across the rooftop tops without being alerted. And so there was a guard there... And his back was to me, and I threw a knife, and he turned around, <laughs> and he didn't see me. He saw the knife that was going to kill him in a tenth of a second, and then I failed the mission because he saw the knife. <laughs> didn't even have time to react. Oh, Assassin's Creed 2, I love you, but you're crazy. That will be officially <laughs> noted as some bullshit. Some bullshit. <laughs> Anyway, Vin kills four people. <laughs> yes, and has very little time to, to ponder that fact because they are running further. So and they're they're just they're just going for it, and they end up in the uh, the target room, and it's it's big and has big decorative murals everywhere, uh, and there's a little like shack in the middle of this room, which is an odd sight. I pictured um. Uh, oh, what was it? The the Unabomber house in the yeah. Uh, that's just in the yeah. it's sitting in a warehouse now. Yeah, I kind this of whole house that. is just in a warehouse. Yes, Sam, are you looking this up? It is deeply weird. I am. I'm I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah, they just they took the whole cabin and put it in an FBI warehouse to study and preserve and keep people from using it as a pilgrimage oh, as well. I hate that. I mean, yeah. I think that's a good reason. I'm just looking at the image and it just feels wrong. 
Uh, yeah, I didn't know about this whole thing. I was about to say how much I think it's kind of cool when you have a building directly inside of another building. I generally think that looks pretty cool. But yeah, this is just very unsettling, which doesn't mean it's not cool. That was immediately what I pictured, though. But I think can be both unsettling and cool, as I believe this weird Mistborn shack is. Well, it's, it's made more unsettling when Kelsier opens the door and there's an Inquisitor standing right inside. So the, the lack of planning did not seem to have the desired effect. And they immediately start running for their life. It's like, it's, it's a fraction of a second after he opens the door. And uh, it is now an all-out dash for survival. God damn. I mean, just the, the imagery of, of Kelsier being lifted up by his throat. Mm-hmm. Yelling, yelling, Vin, run! Ugh, this is the first time we've saw, seen him, like, completely on his back foot. Like, all the yeah, way. Yeah, this does not go well. To the point where Kelsier just, like, pushes Vin out of the room. Just panic. Get out of here. And, yeah, it's it's just this entire kind of disastrous chaos of, of fleeing as two of the Inquisitors try to chase down Vin. One or two of them, I don't remember. I think it's two yeah i know there's three of them well they mention they mention one specific one that's like chasing her the whole time but eventually she like gets out of a room and the second one is there as well so she has two on her at, at one point mm-hmm. so she is running through the uh hallways b- beneath this palace trying to try to fight them off trying to escape uh gets into she, she tries to use her ADM to get a bit of an advantage, but the Inquisitor has ADM too, so that's a problem. Yeah, and there's also a very... This is this is almost getting into the theory section, but I don't think it quite is because I don't have a concrete guess about it. Um, but Kelsier mentions not only do you burn ADM really quick, but he specifically says, like, don't even ingest it until you know you're going to use it, right? Because it will... like Yeah, it doesn't right? last very long. And I don't think we get concrete numbers... Whether that means like, you know, you have half an hour or two minutes, but he does point that out, that you can't, you can't keep ADM around for very long. Right. So unless Vin didn't see the Inquisitor actually like ingest it in some way, it implies that they had already ingested it before Kelsier opened the shack door, which means like they were even more prepared for a fight than it might have seemed initially um which is very concerning all around um that either they knew exactly what was about to happen or the alternative of the inquisitors just get access to like so much adium that they can just ingest it as all as often as they want they don't have to worry about it um in either case rather terrifying to think about Mm -hmm. so vin gets a uh a big old stab wound uh, from one of their weapons, which is basically just a, a club with these shards of obsidian, which is definitely going to do some damage. It's like an Inquisitor equivalent of a like baseball bat with nails pounded through it. Yeah, weren't there weren't there Mesoamericans whose weapons were specialized in just having like really sharp obsidian um, like dug into the side of it? Yep, it's called a makahuich. Yeah, those things are badass. Yeah, they're um so here I go talking about my thesis again. But um for some reason I can't send this image because it is greater than 8 megabytes. 
That's a very large image. Um, anyway, uh, so there's stories about um, uh, Mesoamericans uh, when the Spanish arrived, uh, cutting off Spaniards like the horses, uh, their heads with a single chop from a macoich. A horse head? Horse's head all the way off with one. They got big necks though. Obsidian is sharp as hell. Yeah, no, obsidian That's is crazy. ludicrously sharp. And if you've got a big old club, you can put some some force behind the swing too. Yeah. yeah. It's the juxtaposition here that's so terrifying because just before she does get stabbed, she's just flying through this crowd of normal guards because of her ATM and can just like dodge everything effortlessly, literally thinks she was invincible. And then two paragraphs later, wham. Yeah, just gets gutted. Uh, the Inquisitor takes a moment to ask her who her father is, which seems like a... Uh... Not the, the first question that would come to mind, but that's the one they ask. Uh, bald eye tattoos. Yeah, exactly. It's not like Vin could even even tell them. I'm assuming that's because of Cayman. Cayman is the one who was uh, hung by his hook throat thing. Right, they were, they were on the trail of Alamancy. Yeah. So I think they know just from the fact that she's this, you know, unknown upstart that this is the girl that came and talked about and now the pieces are connected and probably i forgot about the hook hanging we also have a uh discovery that characters don't really comment on but uh, earlier i did just find it to make sure i wasn't getting obligators and and inquisitors mixed up um but um kelsier says at one point that all um inquisitors are seekers they can use um yes they can use bronze I believe this is the first time we see a um, Inquisitor using other metals. We see uh, one of them using uh, uh, pushing, I believe, to shoot uh, uh, little ninja stars at Vin at one point. Mm -hmm. um, which is very concerning because that either means Kelsier was wrong and there's like different Inquisitors that specialize in different things. Or what I feel is the more likely and much scarier option that, that Inquisitors all are all misborns. Yeah. Uh, especially with with Adium, which we've only heard in reference to Mistborn. Right. Yes, that is true as well. And and both Inquisitors that are chasing down Vin have access to Adium, so that's a bad sign. Yeah, it's not great. Fortunately, at least briefly, Vin does manage to make it out of the palace. Though at this point, she is bleeding and and horribly injured. Uh, but she shoots up into the sky. Uh, tries her her little coin pouch trick one more time because uh, at this point it's it's dark it's pouring rain out she thinks maybe if they do if at this point if they're tracking her by her metal uh she can take uh, at one point she had picked up this book because it was nearby and used it to to block the little basically ninja stars so she pushes that off into the night hopefully hoping that they can follow that instead of her as she is clinging to a spire of the palace in the dark in the rain and she gets attacked again this reminded me of uh way back you know when she's packing up her stuff from the old hideout and she has the earring mm -hmm. right it it would be <laughs> it would have been really emotionally powerful if she like had an earring and she uses a last ditch effort to like 
shove this inquisitor away, but it didn't happen. Oh well. I do think that will happen at some point. I think Kelsier does mention when when he is first telling her about the way that metal in the body isn't affected. Uh, he does mention you know, maybe the the earring can be useful as a a little bit of something. So that is a a a gun that remains on the mantelpiece. Yeah. Um, I'll also again I, I will say this now rather than the theory section because as I've as I've told some of my friends before I'm not always good at connecting the dots but I can point at the dots that some people may have forgotten about and be like, we got to connect that to something at some point. Um, this is not the first time Obsidian's been brought up as the, on the weapons of these Inquisitors. Uh, we also know Vin also owns a chip of Obsidian um, that I believe she got from her brother. That is on my list of predictions you've made. Yes. Um, I am unsure about the initial prediction I made that I think I said it was the one remaining metal we don't know anything about, either the ninth or the 10th. One of them is Adium and the other was a mystery. Um, because Obsidian technically isn't a metal, so that really wouldn't work out with the system Sanderson has built here if it turns out that Obsidian is a metal, even though it's not a metal. Um, so I'm, I'm, I still want to keep that theory on the table, but I don't, I'm not 100% sure about it. But I am curious if, even if it's not in the, you know, our periodic table of Allomancy, if Obsidian is linked in some way to... It's um, meaningful somehow. Yeah, if it's tangential in some way. If it, if it works into the system, even if it's not one of the metals. All right, we will take a look at that. Uh, but as our, our chapter comes to a close, uh, the Inquisitor somehow manages to find Vin in the dark, in the rain, in the, in the middle of the air, basically, because she's on one of the, the spires of the palace. Uh, and she is close to death. Uh, and then something comes and just beats the hell out of an Inquisitor and takes her away. And that's where our chapter ends. And I could have ended the episode here and I didn't. Yay. You're, you're kind. <laughs> I appreciate that. Although I did, you did take away one of my theories that I did, I did guess who it was that picked her up and I was correct about it, but I don't get to brag about it too much because we're going to talk about it in just a second. Because we learn in a couple of pages. So yeah, to, to close out uh, part two, we have a, a brief chapter, chapter 15, wrapping us up. Uh, we do learn some new backstory in our epigraph here. Uh, we learn that uh, Quan was the terrorist philosopher who originally dubbed this person the hero of ages uh, and yet now denounces him. So something happened there. But we, we resume now with the gang uh, a little bit later, with Doxon really just tearing into Kel and him fully accepting it. Doxon says, you know, are you bloody insane? He says, yes, you've been right all along. I'm a lunatic. So it's uh, it's not going well here. It is interesting. I believe you said this is the shortest uh, chapter in the book. Um, is that that's correct, I believe? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, I also heard somewhere that it's the uh, um, shortest chapter in the entire Cosmere, which is great. It's only two words long, and it's Kelsey or Wept. Um, fun <laughs> trivia fact for you. Wait, can I, can I, can I give my uh, prediction of what the chapter is going to be? Yes. Um, which turned out to be almost correct, but not quite. Yeah, you just had the wrong name. Yeah, uh, it was. Uh, oh fuck! You stabbed me," said Kelsey as the Lord Ruler fatally stabbed him. 
but it turns out it was actually, oh fuck, you stabbed me, said Vin as the Inquisitor fatally stabbed her, or something to that effect. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah. Highlight it in green on the prediction chart. Yeah, it counts. So yeah, things are not going well at uh, at Klops's shop at the hideout. Uh, most of most of the crew is here. Um, Kelsier's wounds are being treated, and uh, and Kelsier says, you know, he barely got away, and was trying to to distract some of the Inquisitors. So maybe maybe Vin got out, but it's uh. It, it didn't look good when he left. And then Kelsier notices someone coming with his, his Mistborn powers, uh, shortly followed by Lestaborns, the, the Tin-Eye, who is Clubs' nephew. Someone's coming. Uh, and the prediction, the short-lived prediction comes true. It was, in fact, Sazed who found Vin that night uh, and has managed to bring her back to the hideout. Can we go back a half page real quick? We can. Um, be- because Kelsier said something that made me uh, scream, you fucking asshole, in, in the real world. Um, he said, uh, we must have made too much noise going in. <laughs> you fucking asshole. Are you serious? What, when you drop kicked a guy? When you drop kicked the second guy. Like... Uh, <sighs> This isn't a game. You're you're invading Credit Shaw. Like really? I don't know. Oh I, yeah, and I love that. Like he's clearly like you know he's feeling bad about it, and you know it's for one thing. It's always there's a special type of frustration when you're trying to chew someone out, and they're not giving you the satisfaction of fighting back, and you're like, Dang, if you already feel bad about it, it's less satisfying for me to be angry at you, which I kind of feel with uh, I empathize with Toxin in that regard. But then in the middle of Kelsier brooding and being, oh, I was so terrible. I can't believe that happened. Um, as, as, you know, doing a little close reading of the line you just gave, it's not, I must have made too much noise. It was probably both of our faults. Really, If we look back, you know, we both made too much noise. Um, which, you know, once more, you fucking asshole. Kelsier was the one dropkicking people. He do feel very bad. He do say maybe I should have just died and not come back to bother any of you, which is pretty brutal. Yeah, he's uh, he's not. Uh, he's definitely going in on himself here. But Sazed does arrive uh, with Vin, somehow has has rescued her, and is trying to uh, to do some some doctoring, and fortunately she has been uh she's been working with metal long enough at this point that when provided some pewter she starts to uh unconsciously burn it and that helps keep her alive and and keep her healing and the one other thing that they managed to get out of this uh was that weird book that that vin grabbed which says had found while he was searching for her uh and it is apparently written in clenny which is a, a pre-ascension language. So a bit of a historical artifact that they've managed to recover, but uh, definitely not worth it in, in the balance of things. And we have heard Clinia mentioned in one of the epigraphs. Uh, uh, we have. Again, if we're, you know, more and more hinting to the point where at this point it would be a legitimate twist if it's not the case, which I know is is uh, one of Sam's theories, but... Um, 
going in on the presumption that Lord Ruler is writing the epigraphs, we do get confirmation that he is from Clinium. Um, and here it is said that it was the pre-ascension homeland of the Lord Ruler. So those things check out as well. And that's about it for the section. We um, we hear Doxon and, and Kelsier have a, a bit of a, a heart-to-heart on this is this is a major enough setback that Kelsier is beginning to have some doubts. He thinks that the Lord Ruler and his power is just too significant. And unless they can find a way to, to get him out of the picture, there's no way anything's going to work. But that's... Uh, the, the immediate concern is going to be, is Vin going to survive? And that's where we end part two. We do get a very brief description of decapitation only annoys him, uh, which is just a very specific way to describe how invincible the Lord Ruler is. Yeah. Um, that is uh, very, and also like the image of him walking out of a fire as a skeleton and then just recovering instantly. Um, definitely, you know, uh, the Sanderson does a very good job of like ratcheting things up in the long term of like, yeah, like the Lord Ruler is way more intimidating than we've even talked about. And then also going directly back into short form of, oh, and don't forget, Vin might be about to die. Um, right. Just anxiety all around. Yeah, there are concerns on many different skills here. Also, I will say by the end of the chapter, I, I, Kelsier manages to his... His regret manages to get to me, and I got to give him a little bit slack. It was at the beginning where I didn't feel like he was just being brooding on his own and, and you know, wallowing in his own self-pity. I was thinking, Justin, in a previous episode, you mentioned that part of Brandy Sandy's initial pitch for this book was it's a it's a fantasy heist novel movie. You know, it, it, it's a heist story, and you you know in your brain like you're up against these insane odds and normally like end of act two of whatever you're reading there'll be some big setback and the team kind of scatters and they have to like go and regroup this is a very stark reminder that they are trying to overthrow god like they they've had a whole bunch of like quips and pithy lines like you know this is what we're doing i don't expect to live out the year but we're at the end of part two and they have had their major setback and one of them's nearly dead. It is a, a very harsh reminder that the stakes of this heist novel, as it were, are very high. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh this is quite a task that they've set. And although they've they've had some some small successes kind of building up to things, uh this is this is a reminder of where it could go very rapidly. Just a few wrap up thoughts. I, I don't want I don't want to take away from how good of like the a mood setting that this ending is. Um, but just going into some other little tidbits of, of things I picked up on that just get kind of slipped in there. Um, um you might have briefly mentioned it in the recap, but uh, we get a little bit more about the eleventh medal. Um and here he's talking to Kelsier's talking to just Doxin. Um mm-hmm who I feel like at that point, the trust is pretty good and there's not going to be a ton of secrets kept. Um, and, you know, we're looking at Kelsier in one of his lowest points and he's still talking about how um, he does believe the 11th medal can help in some way. Um, I, I'm i going to, just a quick preview, uh, I'll, I'll say this now, um, a quick preview of theory time. I still believe the 11th medal is kind of bullshit and kind of a scam. Um but I do wonder if 
Kelsey, even if it's not the magic like silver bullet that Kelsier claims it is, um, I do wonder if it will still help in some way. I, I don't think it's going to be the problem solver necessarily, um, but I this this last page made me think um, they're just seeing Kelsier so desperate and still saying, "Oh, I can't get it to work, but if I did, it would it would be super helpful." Um, when he's just talking one on one to Doxin, makes me think that maybe Kelsier does believe that there's something to it. Um, which is just interesting to note. Um, he admits the stories of the 11th medal are the only thing to offer any hope, but he continues be saying like, but you know, the reason it's not, it, it's not that it's bullshit. It's just that I can't figure it out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then last little bit, um, is just, uh, you know, MVP goes to say Zed. Um, I don't know if we, we emphasize that strongly enough. Um, there's a, uh, uh, I don't know how much I can say without spoiling it. Um, there's a Star Wars character voiced by Sam Witwer, which is actually does not narrow things down because he voices like five different really famous characters. Um, and he talks about at one point um, uh, the inner thoughts of his character when he's confronting another character. Um, and he thinks that, you know, this guy's useless. He's, you know, he's, he's uh, uh, washed up and, and no good. Um, and then something happens and it clicks for Whitworth's character that, oh no, this person is like one of the most skilled um, people in the galaxy doing one of the most important things in the galaxy. Um, and I completely misread the situation. Um, and I get that feeling from Sezed of, we feel like he's just kind of this eccentric guy. And then all of a sudden, um, like I said, he's the MVP. Uh, he apparently can either kick an Inquisitor's ass or at the very least distract the Inquisitor long enough to pick up Vin and get the hell out of there. Um, we don't know exactly what happened, but he manages to save Vin when she is, uh, about to be killed. Um, and, um, just also just has a, like, has enough insight to know that, you know, she wasn't retiring for the evening and decided, yeah, I'm going to need to keep an eye on her. Um, and yeah, quite literally saved her life. Um, so we've gotten hints that, that terrorist men and say Zed in particular are hiding some sort of power. But this is the first time, and even though we don't really see it, this is the first time we really get confirmation of, oh yeah, Sezed can throw down if he needs to. Um, he, he definitely has capabilities that are beyond what he looks like at first appearance, which is very cool. Yeah, I was going to say something along those exact lines. I think we mentioned earlier, like, Brandon's really good at just, like, drop a little hint, do a little foreshadowing, really stark example of something. He shrugs off decapitation, moving right along. And we've gotten these little hints with Sezed before. You know, I think Kelsier had an internal monologue. It's like, there's more to him that meets the eye and, and some other hints. And then specifically, right before Vin passes out, a sound like shattering branches Yes, is part of Sezed's rescue. Which I... There is enough ambiguity there that your brain can just go wild but i am imagining lots of bones being all sorts of broken and says also mentions using a, a metal mind uh he doesn't explain what that means at all in any way um and just i just wait for the theory I, section <laughs> yeah we'll we'll all theorize about it except for justin and beth who know well beth might theorize no, too beth, yeah beth will still theorize <laughs> Beth has been known to theorize. I have a whole thing about how there's a mega mind crossover coming. Okay, no, your your theory privileges are revoked. <laughs> That's a great movie. I will not hear any mega mind slander. 
Megamind is good. It gets lumped in with a lot of the... That's DreamWorks, isn't it? It's not even Illuminations. Um, yeah. Yeah, Megamind's good. This is now a Megamind review podcast. Hey, welcome. Welcome, Megaheads. It's good. <laughs> it's, End of episode. April <laughs> April Fool's episode is just me rambling about Megamind for 45 consecutive minutes. All right, I'm going to table that thought. <laughs> and we're going to finish up with... I think it's... I, I think we've... There's a lot of stuff that has happened very rapidly all at the end of this this chapter. Uh, but I think at this point we'll need to to break it down. Uh, we've we've tabled a number of things for a theories section, but in the in the usual order, we do need to talk casting and adaptation first, and then we will get to a a significant amount of theories to close out part two, I think. We'll put a pin in all those pins. Yes. It's just pins on pins on pins. But now we are unpinning some of the casting-related pins. Yes. So by my count, I think if if we do count um, Vin's father, who was spotted briefly, uh, we really only have uh, two characters to add to the list. Uh, that being Vin's father and Elland, and then perhaps some some other side characters if we want to include like some of Vin's suitors who I don't even are think you got saying names. We don't need to cast. Ryan Strobe. Ryan Strobe. Get it right, Caleb. I'm looking for it in the book. I'm not there yet. I'm trying to find it. So I assume then, Sam, you do actually have someone down for this guy? No, I don't. Okay. (laughs) But I wrote his name down. I was impressed that you had his name. I remembered his name was Ryan. I should get a little bit of credit. All right, Caleb, you have a little bit of credit, but not very much. Awesome. All right, can I take the uh, the first yeah. crack at casting? Go for it. All right. So I, I used my Megamind um, brain and came up with uh, Vin's dad while we were talking. Ha. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Vin's dad, a good casting, and I mean this, it's not a, oh, my God, what do I say casting. I think this is a good casting is Stellan Skarsgård. Okay. Okay. I think it could work. Um, I'd like to, first of all, I just want to see him bald in general. I think he would look very intimidating as a bald guy with eye tattoos. Yeah. You know, I, I can see that. Right. It's, there's something there. Um, yep. Uh, the other person, the, the other person that we meet is Lord Ellen Venture. Mm -hmm. Uh, in this case, I'm picturing, uh, Jamie Bell. Who? Uh, ah, okay. See what I did was I googled Jane Eyre, um, because I was picturing somebody like that. Okay. Uh, so I'm picturing Jamie Bell as Saint John Rivers from Jane Eyre, as Ellen. Jamie Bell, star of the hit film Fant Four Stick, of course. Oh my God. That is the canonical pronunciation. Oh, I forgot he was the kid in Snowpiercer. Oh, he was good in that. He was also Tintin. Oh wow. Spielberg directed film The Adventures of Tintin. But we also met three very important characters. Those More being the Inquisitors. Inquis- Inquisitors one through three. Wait, yes. sorry, Stephen Moffat co-wrote The Adventures of Tintin? I'm sorry, I just have to bring that up very Stop quickly. The podcast. I want to get off. So my three Inquisitors. Yes, we have Inquisitors two through four, because uh, earlier you had uh, the Great Kali as number one. Well, I think one of them is okay. him. 
Okay. It is, it's, I don't know. It is highly, it, if it's not outright confirmed, it's definitely highly hinted that the one that's really gunning for Vin is the same one that was trying to track her down originally. Yeah. Okay. Then yeah. we have two more Inquisitors to cast. So, uh, you know, then they're all, they're not all great Kali clones because that'd be weird. But for a split second, my brain did picture, what if they're all just the great Kali? But no, <laughs> they're not. Um, Inquisitor number two. Uh, I pictured, uh, and this is probably like, he, he's played other parts, but I was picturing him specifically as Xerxes. I was picturing Rodrigo Santoro as Xerxes from 300. Oh, yeah, that is okay. kind of a similar vibe to Inquisitors now that I think about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can see that. Like a little bit kind of otherworldly in terms of, of their their appearance and then also just like what they do. Yeah, definitely. And then I did go back to the wrestler pool for Inquisitor number three. I'm going to go with Bobby Lashley. He's got like an air of intimidation, but he's also a little bit tabula rasa, kind of. Um, you know, you it's hard to kind of clock him, mm-hmm. basically. So it's uh, it's those three: Rodrigo Santoro, Great Kali, and Bobby Lashley. Okay, are my three Inquisitors, and that's it. All right. Uh, Caleb, do you have the same casting list to add to, or is there anyone else on there as well? Um, I actually, I do have one other one. I actually don't have anything for the Inquisitors. I, I think we should pull from wrestlers. I, I, yeah, I agree with most of that. I, the Xerxes thing is also pretty, you know, uh, a, a pretty good choice. So no arguments there. Although my dream is that all Inquisitors are wrestlers. Um, but yeah, I actually do have a third one and it is for a character we have technically not seen yet, but I am assuming we're going to cast them at some point. I've been brainstorming. Okay. So let's, uh, let's start at the top then. Uh, I do have you, I, I have you officially marched down. Thank you, Beth. Um, putting Eric Andre as Vince's father. You know, I've so given you... it a little bit of thought and I think I might want to recast. <laughs> I'm putting my new editing power to good use. I understand that I committed to that very strongly. Um, but I do have a different idea for Vin's father. Okay, let's hear it. Um, I don't know why his image popped into my head, but when obligators were first described, I thought of this actor, but I waited to say the name until there was an obligator that I figured would be actually relevant to the plot. I wasn't mm-hmm. sure about Arive, um, so I didn't say it then. Um, and also I think Arive was described as being, you know, like skinny or... or, or like lithe or something i don't quite remember um didn't quite fit we were were gonna push the defoe button for a reeve which is still in the chamber i know yeah no i'm not pushing yeah i'm not pushing it i'm not pushing it that now um i just picture you know i want to see this is a guy i do want to see bald and with face tattoos and looking very intimidating uh i have clancy brown as vin's father oh he has such a luscious head of hair i can't picture him bald oh neither can i but i want to see what it looks like um, you all know Clancy Brown as Mr. Krabs, most notably, but um, has also been in uh, several movies like Shawshank Redemption, uh, Starship Troopers. Um, he was, I forgot until Beth rewatched it and talked about it in chat. He was in The Punisher. Wait, no, just Daredevil Season 2 featuring The Punisher. Feet The Punisher, yeah. Um, and uh, he was uh, Hank, the best part of Detroit Become Human. Yes. 
you are incorrect. Sumo was the best part of Detroit Become Human. Sorry, I meant that entire plot line. Sumo because adjacent. The, the whole plot line, because Connor is also the best part of Detroit Become Human. So everything involving Hank correct. Connor and Sumo, the 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 incredible trio. Um, yeah. There's a really funny clip that I've seen of a, a group that was playing Detroit Become Human on Twitch. They They were running, they run like a, video games analysis show and they were playing this game um and they were just idling on the main menu oh i know what clip this is i know what it is <laughs> and they were they were talking about how um not everything in the game has to be a metaphor for the slave trade uh at which point the the character on the loading screen just provides the helpful fact that something about the underground did you know that the underground railroad Mm -hmm. went from the americans uh to the united states (laughs) to canada (laughs) that is just a random fun fact because as i believe david cage has said that game offers no social commentary it's just about robots there's no social commentary at all i am the fancy frenchman making the fancy video games robot story it has nothing to do with racism now and when you play as Marcus, please pick the choice that says, I have a dream. <laughs> it's not social commentary at all. It is not relatable. It's just about the robots. You're rapidly moving to Russia. Tell us who you have as Ellen. <laughs> I will continue to do it in my David Cage accent. No. Uh, oh, <laughs> I um, refuse. Renault. Va- Renault. <laughs> I could kick you out of the recording. No, I yes, okay. Yeah. All three of us. Welcome to yeah, all of us. Yes, we're all in on it now. We've been outvoted. Um, okay, so a quick question, just to see how viable this casting is. Do we know how old Ellen is supposed to be? Because he's described as a young man, I think, but then he's constantly referred to as the man, as opposed to the boy. Uh, we do learn it later, and I don't think it's a major thing to say um he so vin is i believe like just 16 and ellen is a few years older maybe young 20s perfect okay good um then my casting choice works um i may 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 rethink this as we get more ellen which i assume we will um but i have asher angel who plays uh the young billy batson in shazam as as ellen how old is he I haven't seen Shazam. Uh, he is... He... According to this Wikipedia page I just opened, he's 19. Yeah, he plays like a high schooler, but um, okay. he is a, a few years older than Daphne Keene. So I just feel like the uh, um, the kind of dynamic that I think this is going for um, would fit well um, with that casting. Uh, maybe it's skewing just slightly younger than what the character is supposed to be, but I feel like he has the vibes for it. Okay. And then for Inquisitors, you mentioned that you are you're on team wrestlers, but don't have any specific picks there. That's correct. I, I want to push the Bautista uh, button at some point, but I don't know if we're ever going to get an Inquisitor that has a name. And much like with Clancy Brown, I wanted to wait to see if there was a, a really good one I could pick for that. So um, whether or not Bautista shows up as an Inquisitor or as another character remains to be seen, but other wrestlers i feel like should fill the inquisitor cast we get depending on how you count it and i will be vague about this we get either one or two named inquisitors interesting at least in this book there might be others later 
All right. So you're just using wrestler as like a plug, like a like jobber Joe or like a, an actual wrestler. No, yeah, we can get. Well, I want them to be actual wrestlers when we finally get down to casting, but I'll leave it to the casting director to find the jobbers that uh, would fit the role. I think I have Steve Austin as the the one that is gunning for Vin. Um, I you had did that mention way, that, yeah. Yeah. Um, but for these other two, who I don't know if we're ever going to see again, um, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to hit the Batista button. So, um, <laughs> okay. you know, maybe for next ne- next episode, I'll have some more specifics. Um, but at the moment. Um, uh, yeah, I don't have I don't have specific wrestlers for them right now. All right then. And then I do have one final thing. Yes. Um, which is oh, and I also forgot to mention um, if we don't get Clancy Brown, um, I also think Hugo Weaving could potentially be a good candidate for Vince Father as well. Right. We did we did want to see if we could slot him in. That was my brain blast when we mentioned him earlier. Yeah. Um, but I, I Clancy Brown is my number one. I might save Hugo for something else, but that's in the cards, a, a possibility. Um, I know one of my theories that I am feeling less and less sure about to the point where I would say, I don't think it's going to happen now. Um, but one of my very first theories was that the Lord Ruler has been dead all along. Um, it feels like that's not the case from all the evidence we've got. We've still never seen him in person, so it's still a possibility, but I'm feeling like it's not going to happen. I feel like we will need to cast the Lord Ruler at some point. Okay. Um, so I have been brainstorming who I think could fill that role and it might be a little bit jumping the gun to do that now but if you would allow me i have a couple of candidates we will put it down we'll see if we have to come back to it later okay um initially i was thinking and i know it's probably typecasting and uh, you know the same reason i think justin you uh are not in love with my daniel radcliffe casting is uh the idea of placing characters into roles that kind of echo back in a way to another giant role that they've already done before um but Nevertheless, um, I did picture Ian McDiarmid as the Lord Ruler, perhaps, uh, known as Emperor Palpatine. Um, I picture him as likely being um, less like... I feel like when we finally meet the Lord Ruler, he's going to be kind of businessy. And I feel like he's not going to be like... He's not going to appear to be the blatant supervillain that Palpatine is. I think there's going to be um, kind of more of a President Snow vibe from Hunger Games as opposed to um, Evil Overlord. Um and so I think that could kind of be a different take on McDiarmid playing the the big giant bad guy. Um, I, I don't think it would be quite the same role, given what I'm expecting from the Lord Ruler, if and when we finally meet him. Um, but that is a possibility, and I'm aware that it's probably retreading some ground there. Um, so I thought of other candidates. Um, my next runner-up was uh, Jeremy Irons, I think, could potentially play a really okay. good kind of Ooh. aristocratic um, bad guy with a lot of power, but um, has kind of a, a regal vibe to him, which, again, we haven't met him. I'm kind of guessing what I think his vibes are going to be when we finally meet him, but I feel like what I'm expecting fits well with Jeremy Irons, potentially. Um, and then my final thing, which I did not uh, uh, have as a candidate until incredibly recently, thank you, Sam, I think Stellan Skarsgård might also be able to pull off a Lord Ruler, um, depending on on what we get out of that character. Um, I think kind of similar vibes to Ian McDiarmid, but changing up a little bit, uh, probably giving a little bit more calm gravitas to the role, um, I think could be interesting to see. Um, I, for the moment, am comfortable leaving the Lord Ruler as a shadow. It's a shadow. We we will definitely have to revisit that discussion later. We'll uh, be able to talk about it then. 
All right. I think that that means that we can start to unwind the uh, the stack of predictions that we've had. Uh, we've I know a couple of people have mentioned uh, thoughts from before that they want to revisit or thoughts that they had and then changed as we went through these chapters. Uh, do either of you want to get started then? I have questions as well. Okay. Then let's start with Sam then. All right. So question number one, kind of a, a thesis statement somebody could write. Okay, so get your notes out if you're if you're an academic out there. Uh, and and come with me for a second, okay? Like, don't don't say what the fuck is he talking about. Give me a second, okay? Here's the question: What is allomancy? What sociocultural role does it play in this final empire? Because ska aren't allowed to know it exists, even mm -hmm. the nobility haven't been seen using it in casual settings. So far, it's only been the crew and guards using allomancy. And in every other magical system I can think of, people just kind of fuck around with it. You know, like in, in Harry Potter, you'll like juggle a magical frog or something. But in this, there's just nothing. Nobody is, uh, I mean, you know, unless... It is very, very restricted. Exactly. Um, and so my, my uh, comparison is that allomancy is kind of like a gun. Um, you can use it to to put it mildly, beat people up. You can use it to persuade people. It's kind of like a concealed carry weapon. So, you know, if you walk up to somebody and, and you soothe them, it's like, hey, do this thing. And then you lift up your shirt and there's a, you know, a Glock in your waistband or whatever. Because the person still has the choice of saying, no, fuck you, even after you, you do that. And people, you know, have, have shown that to this point. Vin's resisted, Alamancy. A um, couple other people have. Uh, you can hide it or discover other people with one. Like, you know, a metal detector can discover a gun. Mm -hmm. um, you can use it as a force multiplier, like pewter. Um, and uh, it's fine to flash it in certain situations, like at night or in the mists, but it's not used in polite company. And, uh, you know, not to get too political here, but it's an expression of privilege. Right. You know, you can you can flaunt a gun like you can walk into the, the local bakery with a gun if you're a person who looks a certain way um, or who, at per, per, you know, presents themselves in a certain way. Um, and that's kind of what Alamancy is, is smacking of to me. So wh uh, what is Alamancy? Like, wh where does this fit in the culture of the world? I think that there's there's also the 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 second what is allomancy question of like how how is there magic because in like in some stories you'll take that for granted and in some stories you'll do a very deep dive into like why can some people do these crazy things with metal but i do think it's a it's an interesting question to look at of um how how does the the culture work with this very powerful magic uh it's also an interesting question if you look at sanderson's writing as a whole um because he has he's talked extensively about the books that he plans to write in this shared universe um and one of the first things that he said was that mistborn there would be three mistborn trilogies that happened at various points in his career and at various points in the timeline 
Uh, turns out now there's actually four because he can't stop writing books. Thanks, Brandon. But we see this world and we see this magic system at very different points in, in I guess, history. Um, we've seen it here in this kind of pseudo-medieval fantasy. Uh, the The second set of books that are mostly published, the last one comes out this fall, uh, is kind of a, a Western, um, like like Wild West era, um, which your your comparison to weaponry in that era has a, a very different implication. Uh, and then the, the two trilogies that are yet forthcoming, uh, I believe there's one that's going to be kind of like a like a modern-ish urban fantasy, and the last one will be full-on science fiction. So it's an interesting question to ask, and it's going to be, I think, an interesting one that we can continue to ask as Brandon keeps writing books, which is really cool. I also do love that in this analogy, you look at Breeze, who is just like, hell yeah, I use Alamancy. I'm using it right now. I'm using it on you. He's just very completely uh, transparent about it in some cases. Uh, Analogy-wise implies that Breeze would open carry um yeah which is just not the vibe i picture when i think of breeze but just looking at the analogy like that is what that would mean um just a, a funny especially since you cast billy porter as breeze. yeah i know i cannot imagine billy porter ever playing a character who is like yeah i open carry i love my guns um <laughs> but yeah just a fun aside andy circus though would definitely open carry <laughs> that's my breeze I don't know if this is what you meant, but I feel like I should clarify. Andy Serkis would play characters who would open carry. Not necessarily saying Andy Serkis himself would open carry. I don't know too much about the guy. The one thing I remember about him is the time that he was on, um, I think it was Late Show with Colbert, and they had him uh, read Donald Trump tweets as Gollum, and... The first thing that he did when this idea was when, when they suggested this to him that they were going to have him do it, the first thing that he did was to jump up and crouch on the couch instead of sitting on it. Excellent. Uh, very similar, very similar vibes to Mark Hamill reading Trump tweets in the Voice mm-hmm. of Joker. So apart from my thesis, I was going to say we've gone for like ten minutes on one question, which is cool and makes it a, a good thesis. Yeah. Um... So uh, just to revisit one point that we talked about a long time ago. Also, by the way, this episode's releasing the day before my birthday. Hey! Yeah, Happy there you birthday. go. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. That's <laughs> the worst birthday over. singing I've ever heard. We're, we're, we're stopping. Sam, happy early birthday. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I forgot if it was still copyrighted or not. It's not. We could sing the whole thing if we wanted. Let me get my um, guitar. <laughs> so, uh, Kelsier, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm listening back to the episodes just as you are, listener, in the same order, except in the future, in the far-off future of August. The sun has burnt out. Waves flash over the shore of Pennsylvania. Kelsier had no allomancy before the pits. Uh, mm-hmm. At least that's how it's described. How... I just like the more that this has kind of sunk in, the less it makes sense to me. Um, and I think we talked a bit about it about like, is is it possible that there's like a 
a breaking point where you figure out that you have allomancy because you're in a moment of strife, kind of like Elend would have. This uh, beat me to one of my theories. Um, yeah, that does tie into to one of my theories. But we do, and I, I do have a little bit of uh, insight about this because once more I have a, a player in one of my D&D campaigns who plays a, a Mistborn homebrew class. Um, so I knew to be on the lookout for this. Uh, we do get one mention where Kelsier at one point um, says that in the pits uh, he snapped, and snap was spelled with a capital S, um, which I am guessing and, and feel fairly confident about is the moment when the powers kicked in for the first time. Um, so, um, yeah, you, you can continue with your with your thought line there. Um, but yes, we do have a we have a little bit of insight in that regard. Um yeah, so uh, from the timeline that we figured out, uh, or at least have have vaguely pinned down, three years ago was the heist, right, in which he got Something caught that, and sent yeah. to the pits of Hatson. And then he was there for a bit, and he's been out for about by now a year. Is this like is this like Batman Begins, where he was trained in the pits, figured it out there? Um, or is this a case of like, I don't know. It's just weird to me because it, when he's training Vin, even like he's like, oh, you know, my teacher was not so gentle with me. He's talking about like it happened to, you know, 30 years ago, but he's only known that he had Alamancy for like two years. Yeah. The, the timeline is pretty compressed there. Yeah. So he's a, he's a fast learner. Um, and it's impressive that he's able to hang with people, given the the naivete that he has with this. It's just strange. I don't know. So that's my second firecracker. Uh, and then my last question is, uh, you know, nobody ever tries to convince him not to do anything. But this seems like a really big thing. Did It seems like when Kelsier vaguely mentioned visiting the lord ruler people were like oh really and not like no you idiot stop that does seem like the reaction that somebody should have had serious because now um i don't know if they did before but now they definitely have a tie between whatever the hell was happening um you know with cayman and now vin and kelsier so now they know that that's tied together um, mm-hmm. and that, you know, the, the survivor of Hathson is in with this plot. Let's dig more into that. Oops, everybody's dead. Maybe we can't. I don't know. But maybe we came and spilled enough of the beans that they'll know that, oh, they're doing this obligator, you know, river route, so maybe we'll investigate there. It just seems like a stupid move. It seems like there's a little bit too much that they might have have given away if people are looking too close. And, and much like uh, Vin being at the ball and, and learning things, even if she doesn't learn things, you know, just by people walking up to her, they learned something by Vin being with Kelsier. Right. And because not everybody in that room died, uh, they're going to take that with them and be like, hey, Lord Ruler, there's fuckery about. Yeah, there certainly is. Yeah. So we will we'll see what the consequences of that is. So I'll, I'll toss it to Caleb, see if he has any questions or interestings. I have more interesting, um, but those are my questions as opposed to my interesting section. Uh, yeah, I don't have any questions. I just have like 
I just have the, the Attack on Titan brain theories. Are you, ready, are you ready for me to go into that, or do you want to do theories? Do you have other theories you want to do? No. Go Galaxy Brain, my man. Unless you want to go last. Let's have Caleb go. Okay. Okay, yeah, I just wanted to double-check one thing, but I found it, so no need to stall. Um, okay. Let's get into it. Um, my, my first major theory that I feel 100% confident in, it's definitely going to happen. Uh, Vin dies next chapter. Yes! <laughs> and it's replaced by a Mistwraith. Oh, whoa, whoa, it's, whoa. It's yeah, on yeah, the yeah. sheet in all caps. I feel like we need a jingle for Attack on Titan Brain to play both at the top of the section and when you drop big galaxy brain moments like that. Um, uh, I, uh, I don't think that's actually going to happen, but how wild would it be if, you know, it's... You have this protagonist who, by all accounts, even though I wouldn't consider this a YA book necessarily, has very YA protagonist vibes, just die at the, like, halfway point of the book. It would just be completely insane. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't want it to happen because I love Vin, um, and I don't think it's going to happen. But, like, how wacky, how wacky of a twist would that be if that happened? Probably won't happen, but would be interesting if. I feel like Brandon would. I feel like Brandon would, too. Yeah, I feel like at some point. I don't think this early in the career is when he would have pulled that twist. But, like, if this were to happen at some point in the Cosmere, I'd be like, yeah, that checks out. So I've actually asked Beth in our hidden spoiler channel what the most shocking death in the Cosmere is. Because I I do want to kind of ponder that now. I was going to say, I'm going to have to percolate on that one for Yeah, I think I know my answer. But there's also lots of books that I that haven't been published yet so we'll we'll see what brandon can pull off many more bloodbaths to come good to know i actually do have a, a prediction somewhat related to that a little bit uh okay more theories um i'm going all in legit this time i'm going all in on lord renault as a mist wraith um and i think okay. when he glomped on to the actual renault's body he was able to absorb some of his memories and that's why he was able to go oh yeah i remember that kid um i think there's there's some weird like memory absorption happening in the process of 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 the, uh, the disguise taking place um mostly because i think that would be very very cool but also because i feel like there are uh breadcrumbs leading to that okay i will put a uh, a little plus next to your earlier prediction saying that you have uh you've brought that one back okay I also like um, the verbiage of he glommed on to Renew's body. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, this actually goes slightly different to what I said earlier, but I wrote it down before the podcast started, so I'm just going to say what I have now. Kelsier himself is not bullshitting about the 11th medal. He's making up some of the rumors, but he does actually believe it's going to help. But Kelsier is wrong about it, and it's not actually going to help. However, Kelsier learned about it. That was also misinformation. Um, and it's going to be either just useless that just randomly got found or potentially even a red herring that was specifically planted by the Lord Ruler to be like, oh, hey, here's that secret way of defeating me. I hope no one finds it. Um, and Kelsier found it was like, yes, this is going to be it. Um, what I think instead is going to happen is whatever the thing in the shack is, um, is going to prove to be key to defeating the Lord Ruler. Um, I have a slight theory. I'll go into it now, actually. Um, yeah, let's hear it. I feel, I feel like um, a couple of different things. Um, one probably wouldn't happen. would be interesting if it, uh, is we see the murals in the shack room of, uh, you know, there's this mass of darkness and we also see a pool of light. 
Um, and I don't think it'll happen, but it would be kind of a cool little twist if it turns out the deepness is actually the light and not the darkness. Um, and what we thought was the evil thing was actually the good thing and vice versa. I don't think it's going to happen, but it'd just be a fun little, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Um, except I was expecting because I'm saying it right now. Um, what I do think is going to happen is the pool of light is the place where the Lord Ruler got his powers initially. And that's like what allowed him to become the big champion hero person. Okay. And I think he's got a stash of that still in the shed. Um, I think, you know, thinking about why is this building inside of another building? I am theorizing that Luthadel was actually built entirely around, um, this little thing whatever it is i'm guessing it's the pool of light and i'm guessing that gives it his powers but i think um the foundation of the city itself has to do with whatever's in that little tiny building so the so that building was already there and the lord ruler just kept it there and built the entire palace around it and the city around the palace and this this spot hasn't moved yep that's my theory okay i i want to come back to that later i think we will uh that that will be it'll be interesting to see how that develops then all right so either i am completely on point or i'm like 20 percent, or you're hilariously wrong i'm hilarious i'm either i'm either right on point i'm hilariously off point or i'm like 20 percent of the way there in a way you really weren't expecting me to get but it's still not very correct It's like it pictures you see on the internet of math tests that are like, you used all of the wrong equations, but somehow got the right answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is one um, of the possibilities here. Yes. Um, okay, next theory has absolutely nothing to do with what happened in this chapter, aside from the stakes are being raised. I love Travis Willingham so much. I think Ham is going to die at some point. Um, I don't guy. know if it's going to be... I don't know if it's going to be this book or if it's going to be in later in this little trilogy. Um, but I feel like it is, um, the wharf effect doesn't usually refer to killing a character. It's usually just incapacitating a character, but it is incapacitating the big bulky character to establish how big of a threat the new threat is. Um, and I feel like ham a is like the least integral part of the plan as far as our giant cast of, of, of people goes. At this point, he's really just training people, it sounds like. Um, and then presumably he will be in, like in the middle of the fight once the thing actually starts going. Um, but that's a, you know, a decent time to decide to kill off your character is in the middle of the big giant fight. Um, so I feel like Ham is probably going to end up being a sacrificial lion um, uh, that raises the stakes once the heist actually gets going. Um, like I said, just has nothing to do with these chapters, but I just, that popped into my head and I'm like, ah, I feel like that's, that's probably going to happen. As, as the danger has kicked up in this chapter. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Next up, I have, these are, these are all out of order. Um, but, uh, metal mines, how do they work? Metal mines. (laughs) Um, we don't get very much information about it. Um, I, I don't, we don't have a lot of uh, clues leading to this, but my guess, mostly because I think it would be cool, is that whatever metal mines are, they're more akin to tech and technology than they are actual magic. Um, Sezed mentions, I think he used up an entire metal mine in order to catch up to Vin. Um, So it appears to be a resource, um, presumably a resource that only Sezed or maybe other terrorist men can use. 
Um, so I'm picturing like, I don't think it's going to literally be a computer chip, but like some, something that he can like get power from and then use it to do, um, you know, really badass things. Um, I don't, I, I don't know if Terrasmen are going to turn out to be cyborgs or robots. Um, if, if they do turn out to be robots, I think the fact that I cast Paul Bettany, uh, makes that even funnier. Um, but, um... Yeah, I I'm kind of just have my fingers crossed that metal minds are going to refer to uh, some form of technology, even if it's not directly like um, r- like real life com- uh, technology. I'm not expecting it to be, but um, kind of, kind of hoping for that. I think that'd be a cool little way to have an adjacent system of superpowers that is not just another form of of magic. Um, that makes it sound like I'm minimizing Alamancy. Alamancy is a very cool magic system. Um, but, um, I think it would be cool to have a magic system and a tech system rather than two different magic systems, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, we'll see what we can learn about metal mines in the future. Yeah. That could be way off. I just kind of hope it's true because I think it'd be cool. Um, okay. Next guess is that, um, and Sam kind of hinted at this. I think Elend is a soother or maybe even a mistborn. Um, and I don't think his power snapped and, and set into place until he almost got killed in a massive raid. Um, which leads a question that can be answered one of two ways. Was Kelsier just wrong and an idiot for forgetting that that's how Alamantic powers happen? Or is Kelsier lying about the fact that he thinks Elend might be, uh, misting or misborn? What do you think his, his reasoning would be for, for either of those possibilities there? That's where I'm going. I've got, I've got, I got my string. I got, this is a string of theories all connected together now. Um, uh, I think it would be silly if Kelsier is just wrong about that. I think that's, um, would be less interesting. And I think it makes Kelsier look like kind of an idiot for not considering that. Um, so, um, if Elend is a misting, I think Kelsier was lying about not thinking it was, that was true. Um, so my theory is, I think I will continue to get just fuckboy vibes from Elend. I think I'm going to continue to just not really like him as a character, um, that does not necessarily mean I think he is evil. Um, I think he's just going to be a shit kid that I'll complain about, but I don't think that means he's a bad guy. Um, I think what is going to happen is he is going to cause a rift between Kelsier and Vin. Um, it seems like, uh, obviously Vin seems to, uh, be kind of want to be friends with Elend, um, knowing that they're kind of similar in age range. There's also the possibility of romance blooming in some form. Um, and we know that Kelsier fucking loves killing nobles. So Kelsier that, really likes killing nobles. That little connection probably won't make Kelsier very happy. And I actually forgot about it until I was looking over the pages during the episode while you were recapping everything. Um, Vin has a thought of, could Kelsier have come all this way just to kill Elend because he thinks he's mm-hmm. missing? Um, that's before the conversation of whether or not they, uh, whether or not Kelsier actually think that's true. Um, and I certainly don't think, like, I think Kelsier was planning on going to Credit Shaw the whole time. I don't think his plan that night was to go kill Elend. But I do wonder if at some point Kelsier will decide killing Elend is going to help us. Um, and he's going to try and pull that off, um, either to help ignite the house war or for some other reason. Um, Kelsier is going to want Elend dead and Vin is going to say, you can't kill him. He's like the only nice person I've ever met, um, besides Cezette. Um... So uh, I think that's going to cause um, kind of a, a rift between the two of them. 
We haven't been saying interesting nearly enough, Justin. <laughs> I've been going with all right a lot. We need to, we need to make up for the interestings. You should just like have us say it overlapping 20 times you need more editing work is what i'm saying (laughs) please no i've i've edited interesting every episode thus far twice and i don't want to do it again you need to do the devil may cry thing where it's like the reverse echo effect where you hear it like start quiet but then it goes over interesting um i feel like that would that's a good way to put in that little little effect there so I'm also putting more editing work on you, actually. Yeah, so just pick one of those, Justin, and then do it. <laughs> Great. No. All right. You know what I could do instead? I could ask Sam what he thinks. Yeah. Me. Because, Sam, you had you had a couple of ideas on um, the epigraphs in particular and what was going on and who is who, and I want to hear how you want to fit those together. Right. So uh, what I said was, um, uh, I don't think that, well, you know, I've been saying this the whole time, that I didn't think that Lord Ruler was the guy from the epigraphs. And in a way, I still think that's true, but I think it's not at the same time. Um, There's clearly something going on mentally with the epigraph person, like the stress is kind of getting to him. Yeah, I mean he's he's seeing things. Exactly, seeing things, and um, I th- I feel like I felt for a, a split second, like maybe he was getting suspicious of the you know of Rashek because Rashek was worth getting suspicious of, and that that was Lord Ruler. Um, but then the next chapter's epigraph came, and I was like, oh nope, he's just going crazy. It's that psychic break that differentiates him from the first chapter epigraph man we meet. You know, it's um, it's that. <laughs> okay. He's a he's a different guy now. So you th- so the the person who we are who wrote the the epigraphs, you think is the same like physical person as the Lord Ruler but something something significant happened that makes them essentially two different people is that where you're you're coming down on um i think it's more just a i don't think that they like physically decoupled i think i think it was a psychotic break okay in you know Interesting. I, th- I think it's yeah <laughs> um there we go so that's my uh epigraph theory for this week um, admittedly, I have not uh, had the same amount of time to consider as, as Caleb has, because Caleb's a pondering man, whereas I am a gentleman who is enrolled in school, at, at grad school. So so I have adult responsibilities. You're doing your pondering elsewhere. I was going to say, you do your pondering. It's just I I've, I've have no life, so I spend it all on trying not to think about my day job. I do my pondering. It's just about, uh, you know, whether you file as single or head of household. So there. Um, okay. Anyway, g- going back to my interestings. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was my uh, my epigraph one. Mm-hmm. Um, I predict, uh, big shocker. Be, get ready to be surprised. I think Vin's not gonna die, everybody. Okay. Uh, sadly, I had to take Vin dies off of the prediction sheet for Caleb 
because I wanted to save room. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to leave that one off. But we've got it on record from both of you that Caleb says Vin will die. Sam says Vin won't die. Oh, bam. Just like that. Conflict. We've got this, this strife. Friendship shattered. Um, all right. In the, in the more immediate sense, I don't have any driver predictions this time. I've got sandwich predictions. And that is what we were calling for last time. So I have them. Okay. Um, I think a meeting is going to be called to adjust the plan um, because I think Kelsier is genuinely shaken by what's happened and that they're going to, you know, just do a vibe check and be like, hey, is this plan going well? Did I just fuck everything vibe up? Check. If so, can we not all die? Yes. Is there a way for us to do this without everybody dying because of what I did? Can we get, can we have everyone, now that we've had one death because Vin's dead, can we get through it with no more deaths? <laughs> apparently not apparently Bam. ham's gonna go too yeah it's tragic yeah. oh if it happens it is gonna be tragic though i really like ham <laughs> my big allomancy interesting this time um we've learned about nine metals so far mm-hmm. we've got tin and pewter which are all about senses and sort of strength brass and zinc which are all about emotion yep. iron and steel which are about movement mm-hmm. uh Bronze and copper, which are about the sensation of... Of alamancy itself. Of alamancy. yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've got atium and question mark, question mark, question mark. Now, the way Kelsier explains it, every alamantic kind of thing has a push and a pull. Right. They come in pairs. That was how you listed them off just there. Yeah. There's a bright side of the Schwartz and a dark side of the Schwartz. So there's Atium, which uh-huh. we've we now just now learned helps you see just a bit into the future, um, which I think is kind of the push aspect of this, um, where you you push your knowledge of of what's going to happen. But I think that the poll is pulling from people their thoughts. I think that the tenth medal gives mind reading. That's my thought. Which Kelsier was, uh, Kelsier thinks that you can't do, but isn't totally sure about that. Exactly. And also, um, when they enter Credit Shaw, Vin notes that she's got the sensation that she hasn't, like, felt before. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Kelsier tells her to c- turn on copper and it'll go away, and she does, and it does, which means it's alimantic. So I think that. Uh, there's some kind of constant burning of the tenth metal that helps them, uh, like, defend themselves from threats by reading minds. Okay, is this then how they keep getting spotted when when Kelsier tries to break in? That's what I'm thinking. Yep. Okay. Interesting. Yep. I have a. I have a. I just thought of a different theory. Um, I like the. I like this. This theorizing what the tenth metal is, but mine actually doesn't have to do with the tenth metal. Um doubling down on adium um because it burns so quickly i don't know if kelsier would really know what it's like when you flare adium um but if just using it normally means you get a very like quick vision of the future is it possible that if you have a ton of adium and you use it all at once and you flare it you would be able to see far into the future and you'd be able to see say an attack on your fortress by two mistborn that's going to happen later tonight and you would need a a stupendous amount of of 
adium to be able to do that. Oh, yeah. But we also know Kelsier, I think he says towards the end of this chapter, he was kind of hoping the thing in the shack is a massive stash of adium. That was a, a theory he had, yeah. So whether or not it's in the shack, I don't think that's what's in the shack. Um, but if there is a massive stash somewhere and the Lord Ruler is willing to use it to keep his fortress safe, that would be bad for a heist. So just keeping that in mind of seeing the future could certainly put a, put a wrench in things. And it's actually, to Kelsier's reckless point, makes it so that deciding everything spur of the moment and just doing random stuff without thinking about it beforehand might actually be the best defense against someone who can, who can see what people are going to do and decide to do in the future. Just an interesting thing to know. It's very similar to um, Taskmaster from Marvel Comics fucking hates fighting Deadpool because he can't... Deadpool's so chaotic, Taskmaster can't read any of his moves and predict anything he's going to do. Um, there is no strategy involved, so Taskmaster can't adapt to it in any way. Um, so, yeah, sometimes, sometimes chaos and... Uh, uh, what is it? General mayhem may actually be the best way to defeat um, something so structured as being able to see the future. All right, then. That's that interesting. Um, and I have one more to close this out. Okay, that's great. I got one more slot in the, the spreadsheet to note things down. Sweet. Um, it's about metal mines. Uh, okay. So Caleb and I can again have parallel predictions. I, I worried for a second... Uh, because I'm doing something else while talking that I said Mega Mind, um, but I didn't. I said Metal Minds. I've gotten in your head. This is revenge. <laughs> Will Ferrell is not being cast. I really thought you mentioned a Mega Mind moment, and I really thought you were going to cast Vin's father as Will Ferrell. Yes. It occurred to me, but I'm saving that button. <laughs> um. Will Ferrell and Willem Dafoe. <laughs> Those two Wills. So. What the hell is a metal mind? Um, That's a good I question. believe, I believe that they're they're quaffs that give Terrasmen the ability to tap into all of Alamancy at a more powerful level. Okay. Possibly every power at once. Um, and that's why the Lord Ruler feel fears them, because they're able to tap into all of this at the same time. I think that might be what a metal mind is. Just the subversion of Alamancy in general. This ability to tap into something that you don't have yourself. Hmm. That would be that would be something worthy of being afraid of then. Yep. So that's that's my thought on what a metal mind is. Yeah? Okay. Interesting. Put some echo on that. I don't have any more theories specifically, but I do want to say I just wrote it down in my notes and for a second I thought I was talking about the book Mistborn and then I realized oh no I'm talking about the things they said found but what's with this book um oh yeah it's kind of like there's a mystery book hopefully we'll we'll find out what's in the mystery book yeah we don't know anything about it aside from that it's written in Clenny um we don't even know exactly where it was found Caesar just said oh it was in the palace like what could you be a little bit more specific I hope he does get more specific but like it was that's such a uh wild thing to say if like yeah i was looking for vin and i just found this i picked it up um i have i have no idea what it's going to be i have no theories um but it feels like it will probably be important to some degree and the fact that it's written in clenny makes me think um it might uh give some insight into the lord ruler and perhaps be um you know possibly confirming some of sam's theories or 
this is kind of a this is a, actually I got a theory. I found I figured one out. Um, would be very very cool if whatever's in this book, it's it's the uh, it's the journal, it's the epigraphs. They look through it and they start reading the same things we've been reading the whole time. Um, I think that'd be really neat. Well, Cezid did mention that he could probably translate it, though he was a little busy at the moment. So hopefully we will we'll get to see what his uh, his scholarship uncovers there. It's a cookbook. It's about, it's got a tasty soup recipe in it. Uh, about the where Cezid found it, we saw Vin grab it very briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, is this the same book that she used to block yes. the things? Okay, I didn't realize. Yeah, it was she the used same that book. to block the things, and then that was what she used for the little coin pouch shoot off into the mists trick. She pushed on the like metal inlays ah, of that. Okay, okay. Well, that was in a weird little like altar room. Like there was weird religious imagery happening in that room, um, which makes me think even more that this book's going to be important. I had not connected that it was the same book as the one Vin had booked up, um, but that makes sense. All right. Well, as we close this uh, this interesting section, uh, without specifying which is which, there were a lot of predictions made. I loved this. This was great. One of the predictions between the two of you was very, very accurate. One was starting to be accurate and then swerved off at the last second in a completely different direction. To, to the point I was like, I was hovering over the keyboard to type to Justin like, they've got it, lads. And then I had to be like, oh, oh no. Yeah. Uh, and one of the predictions is shockingly accurate for something that's like five books in the future. <laughs> rest in peace ham <laughs> i mean if if ham dies five books, five books in, in the right future. that's yeah that's significant in its own right five books in the future is like 300 years later he dies peacefully a very old age <laughs> honestly that's very that is very on brand for attack on titan brain brain because there's a couple things where like the very first episode of the show i was like that's going to be important and the people who had read the manga and were like like ahead on the story were like, oh, I forgot about that detail. Yeah, that might end up being important. I don't know yet. Um, and then there's like 80% of my theories that have nothing to do with anything are just completely off base. Um, so I am ready to be either completely justified and feel very satisfied or be completely humiliated with how off base I went. We will Justin, we'll find out. at one point you mentioned you would pull audio clips from early episodes so we can roll the tapes. Mm-hmm. And I know that would be a lot of work, but I hope it happens because... For the big ones, it will happen. It will absolutely. Like right. like actual big plot twists instead of things that just like get discovered a couple chapters later. I do want to <laughs> come back and see when we talked about them. Will you put Echo on that because it's in the past? <laughs> Maybe I'll do like a, a, a transition in and out of it if I'm feeling <laughs> excited. That I mean, that's the only Just transition you can use for that. <laughs> and then you reverse it for when we get back. We can talk about embarrassing Sony conferences for the second episode in a row. Isn't there one guy who's like the time travel coffee guy? What? Oh, yeah. It might not have been Sony, but there was some some conference where some guy was like really into like, let's take a trip back in time and look at a game from a while ago. A do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. It was very dumb. Man, I'm so sad E3's basically dead. Where else could you get shit like this? I mean, the Game Awards has some of it. Well, yeah. 
the game awards have gotten better, but they used to like write the winners on the stomachs of scantily clad women <laughs> or like some yeah. terrible shit like that. Actually, if you want if you want awkward out of place press conferences, uh the PC gaming show is actually the way to go because a lot of the presenters there are uh devs and not oh, like no. <laughs> company CEOs. So, yeah, you you get to put some awkward nerd programmers up on stage. <laughs> I love their work, and this sounds deeply funny. <laughs> All right. Unfortunately, I think we are running a bit short on time here, and uh, at this point, given how far off the rails we've gone, I think that means that we can bring things to a close here, unless anyone else has something on topic to <laughs> put in the episode. Finn's going to kill Kelsier. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Vin's going to kill Kelsier and be like, you shouldn't have brought me. And then she's going to die from her own wounds. This is this is all going to go so wrong. Ham is the new main character. Yeah. <laughs> to set him up to die peacefully 300 yes. years later. <laughs> exactly. It's all connected. All right. At this point, I need to wrap the episode up just so that y'all can go go read it and figure out what happens like two pages later. I will never, Rafo. <laughs> I'll never learn my lesson. <laughs> Caleb just drops out of the podcast here and we never mention him again no i only tune in for the theory section i don't read the chapters i don't listen to the recap i just come in for more theories that i've thought of without reading the book further that's a funny pitch for a podcast but it's not the one we're doing (laughs) (laughs) next time yeah we just I, i just pick a book off of my shelf and then ask for predictions about that <laughs> what color is the spine? Purple. The main character's name is George. <laughs> I wonder. Now I'm wondering, like, how many books? Like, how 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 much have you narrowed it down? Purple spine books with a main character yeah. named George. Someone's looking at their bookshelf right now and seeing a book with a purple spine, being like, "Holy, Holy shit, shit! The main shit. character's name is George in that one." <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're going to uh, bring things to a close here. Uh, like always, if you'd like to uh, give us feedback directly to us that we can we can take a look at, it'd be much appreciated. You can do that at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. You can email us there. We will definitely take a look at that. Uh, and these episodes will continue to roll along uh, once a week. Uh, our next episode, starting off part three here, uh, we're back to three chapters. It'll be 16, 17, and 18 to continue our story and uh, I guess that means that uh, until next time we will see you later on It's Always Another Podcast Bye! Don't let the faceless mannequins that live in Beth's head haunt your dreams I'm going to kill you!